Before we get into the show, let me quickly tell you about a new podcast I've discovered. Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. What's so exciting for me is that this show is hosted by husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, who are fellow Manx. Yeah, they are fellow Mancunians. We are from the same city. And Leanne and I realized we actually at one point lived in the exact same area. What a small world. So in their podcast, Al and Leanne are dispelling myths, imparting wisdom, and answering all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Leanne's a business psychologist, and Al has led and owned multiple businesses over the past 20 years. Together, they blend theory and practice to help business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. Now, as a copywriter who loves figuring out what makes people tick and what makes them buy, I really enjoyed their episode with Phil Agnew. It's called What Makes Your Team Say Yes? Exploring the Psychology of Influence. Go check it out. Listen to Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. It's November 2018 and I am two months into starting my brand new copywriting business. I'm sat alone in a windowless basement office, grateful to have somewhere I can get my head down and work. The guy who owns the office works next door. He's a business owner too, and he's letting me use his space for free. No strings attached. Until one day he comes over and asks, Hey, since you're, you know, already here, I was wondering if you could maybe answer the phone every so often, print my emails, that kind of thing. Say what? I'm in need of some clarification, so I ask, you mean be a secretary? No, 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 just, you know... Answer the phones, print some stuff. Even though he already knows this, I explain that I have a business I work on full time and that I don't have time for a second unpaid job, especially considering I have a baby. At first, he accepts that answer until he asks me again to basically be his secretary. I say no again. This time, I tell him I have a friend who'd be perfect for an admin role if he's looking to hire someone. He says, no, that's fine. Some time passes and then he asks me again, a third time, to be his secretary. That's when naive me realizes there are definitely strings attached to this arrangement. Within weeks, I return the key he gave me, thank him for his kindness and leave that workspace. And I find a co-working space where I can meet other business owners who actually respect me. Most business owners know what it feels like to be underestimated especially women, and especially black women like me. Most people don't get what us business owners are trying to do. They don't see our vision, and often they don't believe in us like we believe in us. For that reason, being a business owner can be a really lonely experience. You're usually working alone, you don't have colleagues to complain to or grab lunch with, and you're figuring out how to run a business completely by yourself. But being a business owner doesn't have to be a lonely experience. You don't have to do it alone. Moving to that co-working space helped me realize the importance of community, the importance of creating your own network of freelancers and business owners, whether in real life or virtually, so you're surrounding yourself with people who do understand you, who do get and believe in your vision, and who never underestimate you. One of the first people I think of when anyone talks about business owner communities is Steve Folland. 
He's the host of the Being Freelance podcast and the creator of the Being Freelance community. He's created this safe, warm, welcoming, biscuit-loving corner of the internet for freelancers and business owners who refuse to do this alone. Steve is usually the one who's interviewing freelancers and talking to them about their businesses. I thought it was time we flipped the script and got him to open up about his business and his biggest business mistake. For well over a year, I'd been making regular stuff for them. And it got to the point where we were making like a regular, kind of like a video show for them. I would go in every week, we'd record a couple of episodes, they'd go out every single week. And and it was good. I mean, it was a lot of work, but it was good money. And it was almost as much as I was earning in my, I mean, admittedly, I wasn't earning that much in my full-time job, <laughs> but it was almost as much. And so the logic was like, well, I've got that. I just need to find some more of them and we're good to go. And in my resignation, um, that was my business plan. <laughs> that was that was the whole business plan. On today's show, I'm speaking to Steve Folland, video and podcast producer, host of the Being Freelance podcast and the award-winning Doing It For The Kids podcast, about the time he put all his client eggs in one basket. That didn't work out so well when this one and only client let him go just when he'd quit his job to go full-time in his business. I didn't realise I was starting a business. <laughs> it, it, it changes everything when you have that mindset. When It changes the way you deal with your finances. It changes the way you think about your pricing, your rates, investing in yourself. Like when you're a business owner, you'll suddenly think, you know, businesses have research and development and human resources that look after their employees and all of these things which you have to do for yourself. It makes you think much bigger and much better. Welcome to Mistakes That Made Me, the podcast that asks extraordinary business owners to share their biggest business mistake so you know what not to do on your road to success. Mistakes That Made Me is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My name's Iman Ismail, and I'm an email strategist and copywriter for online business owners like you at imancopico.com. I'm a podcast lover, a pizza binger, a proud mama of two, and I have this radical idea that if maybe us business owners were a little less guarded and a lot more open about the mistakes we've made, we could help each other grow a business that brings us more joy and less regret. It's Q1, and that means new goals, more growth, and upgrading your day-to-day workflow. While most salespeople are stuck in the mode of manual scheduling, digging into data, and tracking down leads, let me share a better way for you to win. The new HubSpot Sales Hub is an all-in-one platform for converting contacts into customers, accelerating sales with smarter sequences, managing deals with simple and powerful tools, and forecasting targets and smarter sales insights. Plus, you can supercharge your work with AI-powered apps like Chatspot. Chatspot combines the power of ChatGPT and your HubSpot Smart CRM to give you a Gen AI-powered personal assistant that helps you manage every stage of your sales pipeline with ease. The HubSpot Sales Hub is tailor-made to help you grow your business and increase your revenue. You can ask it to track down contacts, research competitors, summarize last week's sales, or draft on-message emails in seconds. It's time for you to work smarter, not harder, so you can hit your 2024 goals, close more deals, and get on track for your best Q1 yet. Explore the new HubSpot Sales Hub and AI tools like Chatspot at HubSpot.com slash sales. (laughs) 
Steve, you were the first person to ever listen to an episode of Mistakes That Made Me. So this feels extra exciting to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, yes. Oh, that was so cool. That was, See, yes, you, you, you were in like a Bing freelance master. I don't call it a mastermind. We call it the cookie collective, but that's what it is. And you've been talking about it and you shared it with me. And I couldn't believe like, cause it's the intro. Oh, it was so good. Iman. And now I'm on it. I hope I don't ruin it. It's so good. It's so good. I love the care that you put into it. Yeah. Thank you so much. So you've seen the show go from idea to I'm thinking about doing this thing mm. to, okay, I think I'm going to do it. Okay. Here's a sample. What do you think to here we are today? To saying you've got to enter it for awards. I've got awards. So How exciting them. is that? Yeah. You were like, How no, I don't have to enter awards. Like, what? Yes. Yes, yeah, it was you. It was you actually who told me, you know, I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't told me to, to do it. Cause I had this thing in my head about, I can't submit myself for an award. And then, and then it was you telling me to do that. That made me realize, well, well, that's what you do. That's how, that's how these shows win awards. Otherwise, like you have to put yourself forward for the judges to nominate you to get the award. Otherwise, you, no one's gonna, yeah. no one's gonna do it for you. No one's gonna submit your podcast. I was like, wow, mind blown, mind blown. So yeah, after that conversation with you, I did, I did, um, apply for the Black Podcasting Awards and we won two awards. Best new podcast, best business podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Rightly so excited so. to have you here. Steve, you are known for so many things. You do so many things. You are a video and audio producer, an awards winning podcaster yourself. You have two podcasts being freelance and doing it for the kids with your co-host Frankie. You have the being freelance community, but let's start with your main or your first business, shall we say, because I I want to know more about that. I've always followed your vlog, love your vlog. So I know a bit about your your main business, but I want to talk more about that. So tell me how did you get into video audio production? How did I? Um I, I always loved creating stuff when I was a kid, like would always be making like radio shows on this little tape recorder in my room and would be filming like we had a little video recorder for our holidays and then using this really rudimentary way to make video editing. And I just decided that I wanted to work in radio more than anything. And so eventually I went and did a, a degree in media production or new media production. So we did like online stuff. We did video stuff. We did audio stuff. And so I learned all of these different skills. And off the back of that, I went and worked in radio for about 10 years, maybe more, but I would always freelance on the side so that I could like, you know, work for bigger companies, do more exciting things, meet other people. And it was really though, only when I had a family that I realized, well, actually (laughs) it could do with some more money. Um, I could do extra freelancing stuff. And that's when I realized it was, it was like at a point when video was becoming more useful to businesses to be online. So it's more recognizing what my skills were. I, I start, started actually thinking I would do writing so like somebody hired me to write a script somebody hired me to do some copywriting from people i knew and so i joined people per hour which was like a sort of 
what, what, what are they now? Upwork and Fiverr, Upwork stuff now? like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's not. Yeah. Upwork was Elance and mm. Odesk. I joined those two yes. actually, but there was one based in the UK, which was called People Per Hour. And I sort of put on there and I thought I'll, I'll do copywriting. I'll do, you know, write scripts. And, and then people started saying, Oh, it says in your skills, you're a presenter as well. So suddenly I started like presenting videos or writing video scripts. And then people were like, Oh, um, we're looking for an animator. And I was like, Oh, I can do animation. And I said, I was started, Oh, we're looking for voiceovers. Like, Oh, I can do voiceovers. So I said, I've got a microphone. And so I started. So it was kind of like realizing what my skills were, were, were much broader than I thought my skills were recognizing what people wanted. And it was just at the time as online video started to pick up. So whereas today, yes, I make lots of podcasts back then people weren't interested in podcasts like 10 years ago, not really for businesses or anything. They wanted to make online video for their websites, for YouTube. So I started helping people do that both through people per hour, but also through people I knew in the real world. And it's that, that's how I kind of ended up realizing that this was kind of like a business by accident in a way and just seizing the opportunities that were coming my way. I built a relationship with, um, we used to go and have our radio photographs done in this studio in a nearby village with a self-employed photographer called Mark. And he, he had this awesome studio and I said to him, Oh, actually, you've got all these cameras. Would you mind like filming me, like reading these scripts for my client? And so he and I started building. I, he would then start offering video editing services to his clients and I would edit them. And all. we did so much together, me and him. Um, I love that. yeah. So it's, and yeah, Ev, it all came from recognizing that people were willing to give me money <laughs> to do things that I knew how to do essentially. And then it was a case of finding those people and doing it. And it got to the point where, you know, I had this full-time job. I was doing extra freelance radio stuff, but I was also doing all of this extras, writing, presenting, editing on the side. And I just was maybe going to bed at midnight and getting up at 4 a.m. And that's just like not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that tied together with us having our second kid and our first one getting to be the age of, I don't know, maybe four five so they were about to start school and so the conversation started in the house of well how are we going to get our son to school i'm my wife i'm going back off after maternity leave who's gonna have their baby and i was like well actually i've got all this work off the internet maybe i could work from home and look after the kids and do all the pickups and how hard can that be How hard can that be? It's going to be so easy just working from home and managing all the family stuff. It's going to be so easy. Mm. <laughs> I learned so much from you in that aspect. There's, there's so much that I want to like, unpick from what you just said, but I learned so much from you in watching you manage your family life and, you know, picking up your kids, taking them, um, taking them to school, picking them up from school, all that stuff and working, making your business work around all that stuff. And for me, one of the lessons that you taught me was to use those like pockets of time that you can productively use like small pockets of time to get stuff done. So yes, it's stressful driving your kids here, there and everywhere. But while your kid is in, I don't know, whatever activity they're in, um, 
you know, you'd record yourself in the car just finishing up some editing or, or doing a bit of work. And I just thought, oh my gosh, it's so true because you feel like, oh, I can't do anything this hour. It's just a waste. I'm just gonna, I don't know, do nothing. I'm just gonna do nothing. When actually an hour, 45 minutes of like productive work, cause you know, you've only got that one hour or 45 minutes. So your kid comes back out. You can really get a lot done. So I don't know if you know that. Well, that's what you taught me watching you. And I was like, yeah, I, this is, this is what flexible working is all about. Very flexible when you're curled up on the floor at a swimming pool with a laptop <laughs> with no chair. Yeah. That's so cool to hear. Very. No, but you're right. It was that at first it was quite overwhelming, that stress of getting to and from places and picking up on time and things like that. And then you realized, I mean, the smug levels were high. If you got to the school gates like an hour early, you got the prime park outside, got out, you got, I get out my little, I get out my, my flask of tea. I get out a ceramic mug because I'm not mucking about. I pour it into that and then I'd have my biscuits in the little, it turns out those cup holders are perfect size for digestives. <laughs> and then I'd have my laptop and I'd carry on editing until it was, and then I'd, I'd see the gradual like thing of people driving past looking for a park and not being able to get one. I'd see the queue of people standing in the rain and I'm just sitting there in my steamed up little. Also, Turns out cars are excellent vocal booths if you ever want to yes. do recording in them. I've done oh, that. They are. They are. So I used to do voiceovers for my old job, my old like traditional job, the one I left for this. And they used to ask me to do voiceovers for their videos and stuff. So I used to run in my car and, um, and, and record on my phone and the acoustics are amazing in a car. I recorded an episode, a podcast interview in the car as well. And I know that the car is great for acoustics because if you know me, you know this by now. I always wanted to be a singer. And so I've done a lot of singing in my car. And sing, you know, when you're singing in your car, it's like singing in your bathroom. You're going to sound great no matter how good or bad your voice is. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, yes to um, doing voiceovers in yeah. your car. Yeah. During the pandemic, we managed to keep the doing it for the kids podcast that I also do going through. Obviously the house, our house was tiny and it was full of people who never left the house because we were in lockdown. But I could go and sit in the car and record using like the 4G on my phone <laughs> with Frankie, my co-host. All of those were done sitting in the car. <laughs> love it. Love it. So when did you start your business? What would you say was like the start date or start year for your business? Well, actually it's 10 years ago. Well, it's basically... I quit my job in autumn 2013, the year that our daughter was born. But I had like a three-month notice period. So my last day was November the 30th. And then just a few days later, we got on a plane and we buggered off to Australia, where my wife is from, uh, for six weeks. Because she was on maternity leave. I'd never been able to have more than like a couple of weeks off. So we went, mm-hmm. um, came back in January after Christmas and New Year. And she went back to work and I was sat there with my laptop and a baby. <laughs> she didn't actually start nursery <laughs> until the April. Wow. So she and I were hanging out all the time. And then in April, she started. So it's the reason I say that is because, so if you're saying when did my business start, it kind of started as soon as I finished that job. But first mm-hmm. of all, I went to Australia. Then it was very bitty. You, you know what it's like to actually work around a baby who isn't in any other form of care. Mm-mm. But once she went in four days a week, we always had Wednesdays hanging out. I was in April of 2014. That's when I could actually 
get things moving, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, you took me back to my, my youngest son. Yeah. My youngest son, because I did this whole thing where I was like, he has to be home with me for a full year. That's what I want. And, uh, I ended up, I started working again when he was about six months old. Um, but I made the mistake of, <laughs> I thought I was taking on like part time work. I thought I was coming back part time. What I was actually doing was doing full time work and taking on like a full roster of clients and trying to make that happen around a sleeping newborn's like sleeping schedule, which was insane. So yes, I know how hard that was and it wasn't fun. It was not fun either. And then they start nursery and then they just get all these viruses and are at home anyway for weeks and weeks. And then you're sick as well and everyone's sick and you're just like, maybe I should have kept them all. Oh my gosh. You said something. What you initially started off doing video, video editing and producing, because that's what everyone wanted. You saw that that was the demand. And then you started doing that. You, you also said like podcasting back then wasn't really a thing. Right now you record, uh, not record, you produce and edit a lot of podcasts. I'm really interested in that ability to see what's changing in your industry and being able to keep up with your industry and keep up with with demand and and I guess upskilling or changing your skills to to meet that demand especially as you know AI enters the the fold and so many of us are worried about how to stay relevant how to keep our work relevant tell me a bit about that I guess about seeing podcasting coming into the mix and and figuring out well actually I can do that as well yeah because because that's the thing, like 10 years ago, podcasts did exist. In fact, as mm-hmm. a radio station, we had our own podcast. So I had already made hundreds of the things, but businesses wouldn't have seen it as a thing. So I think it's about paying attention to what is happening in like the wider, wider world. Like what, what are people doing? Where is stuff happening? And it's quite hard to rewind your head 10 years and um, think about the state of social media to think about YouTube, like even to think, world. yeah, because to think about the state of broadband for most people wasn't like, and the state of our phones, like we weren't watching things on our phones really mm-hmm. back then. And actually all of those things do matter because I remember I started to realize actually maybe we should be making vertical video, which seems so obvious now. It's just a thing. But there would be people who I knew or people on LinkedIn who would be like steadfast video makers who were like, no, people who film vertical, it's like, um, you know, it's heresy to filmmakers, isn't it? You know, films mm-hmm. are meant to be in the cinema. They're meant to be <laughs> this sort of landscape thing. And I would be sitting there going, yeah, but people, people are starting to f- if people are picking up their phones and filming vertical, then that's the instinct. Plus, people are starting to watch things on their phones, and that's how they sit. So I started to try and find video players that would let you share vertical video, because not all of them would. So like an early one was Wistia that would let you actually share vertical video on your website, knowing that people would probably be watching it on their phones and things like that. So it's kind of keeping an eye out for what those trends are how people are using things like suddenly you're thinking okay people are watching a lot on their phone but often they're on silent are they skipping Mm -hmm. and so suddenly you're thinking okay how can i add captions to the services that i'm doing not just subtitles for accessibility sake but 
for everybody to see the captions embed like because that's another thing people didn't want burn on captions they want subtitle files but suddenly you're like no people some people do want burn on captions because otherwise you don't know what's happening if you're watching this in silence or you're watching it while you're on the bus and it's really noisy so it's kind of keeping an eye out for some of these things even if it's taking away the art of filmmaking like i didn't you know thankfully i'm not a filmmaker i didn't care about that side of it i wanted to make you know accessible communication i guess stories things that people would actually want to look or listen to and then yeah podcasts start to become more of a thing and actually to be fair i accidentally got really good seo for a freelance podcast person because i make a podcast called being freelance (laughs) and i'm an editor and all sorts so if people were to google you know freelance podcast and then they're starting to look for an editor or whatever obviously i pop up so people started to approach me i was like ah now the world is starting to get more ready for freelance podcasts oh not freelance but now the world is starting to get ready for business podcasts um yeah and then in terms of like the vlog actually that came more from at the time i was watching uh oh god was gary v i was watching his videos and so this again is like 10 years ago but i have mixed feelings about gary v (laughs) I think we all do. Right. (laughs) We all do. You cannot, like, uh, take away the fact that he spots trends and where attention is and what is happening and is often ahead of the curve. And I remember him saying, I I wanted to start making video content, but I didn't quite know what that was. And I remember him saying, document, don't create. That was his thing document don't create document don't create and he started doing his daily v vlog where he would actually have a cameraman following him around they would create this thing every day which was an insane thing to like such a huge thing to do production wise so that's when i started my vlog i thought okay i don't really know what else to do but i'll start documenting what it's like but actually it helped me as a business owner because it helped me it was almost like journaling i was Mm. discussing to the camera what i was going through and that kind of helped as well as being able to show people because a lot of the stuff I was creating was for businesses and behind closed doors. Like I wouldn't necessarily be able to show it. So I was able to show what I was doing as well. And in fact, I remember going into a client pitch once and um, even before I was talking to like the person I was with walking down the corridor. And as soon as we got in, the lady in there had heard my voice and she was like, I recognize that voice. And she was excited because she's been watching the vlog. She felt like she knew me. So we thought we were going in there to pitch. And it really, once I sat down, felt like it was a done deal because this person had been watching me for for months. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It just goes to show that all that, that hard work really, really does pay off. And funny that you mentioned your voice because I was going to say you have the most radio perfect <laughs> voice I've ever heard in my life. Like you can hear your voice and be like, this, this guy is a podcaster, radio person, voiceover. Like it's so funny. And I feel like you were born to be in radio. <laughs> I don't know what made you want to be in radio, but you were born for it. Your voice was made yeah. for it. It's the face, so, isn't it, Iman? Is that what you're face. saying? <laughs> right. Thanks very much. Such a backward compliment. Oh my gosh. It's no, it's not. It's really not. Um, <laughs> So when we were talking about this, you said you said something to me, um, which was that you were working at the radio station for years and years and years before you started your business. And you were just kind of 
waiting to be hired uh, by one of the big radio stations, one of your kind of dream, dream jobs, dream radio stations. I'm really interested in that idea of, of waiting for something big to happen to you. Tell me about that. Uh, it, it, it was just, I don't know quite what happened. No, I do know what happened. I got comfortable. So there was this point in my life where I had this goal and the goal was to be on the radio. And so even when I was like 14, in fact, even when I was like seven, I wrote uh, an autobiography at school. We had to like pretend it was us in the future. And I said that I was a Radio 1 DJ, Radio 1, like being the big UK radio station. Uh, And I'd run the London Marathon, Um, neither of which I've done. I'm quite (laughs) glad about the latter. But yeah, I had this goal and and I've you know my my family my teachers were all like well okay if you want to do that maybe what if you don't end up on the radio maybe you need the skills to work behind the scenes so I worked to like volunteer at hospital radio which was kind of I guess almost like the podcast and YouTube of its day it's like a way to learn and to to develop your skills mm-hmm. and then I went to university and I did it and then I managed to uh, then I actually got offered a job two jobs one at this big London production company who make stuff for Radio 1 and stuff, or at an actual radio station who had heard me when I was 14 on the radio, remembered me, and come back when they were launching their radio station, like, when I was 21. And I thought, well, you never get offered a job on the radio. Like, this never happens. Wow. And I had a conversation with the big production company, and he was like, well, we'd love to have you, but that never happens. I was like, okay, I'll go and take the job on the radio and see what happens. And what happened was I just got comfortable. Like, we we were... we ended up making this really, and I'm normally very modest, but I, I have to not be <laughs> at this point. What we did, like our breakfast radio show was awesome. Like it was so like funny. Like the people I was with, we just, the chemistry that we had was just brilliant. We, we were based so close to London that in any right, nobody in our area should have listened to us because they could all listen to the big London radio stations. Mm-hmm. But they did. We had this big audience and we had them writing wow. in and doing crazy things for us. And it was so much fun. We had this podcast, which was so funny. We had all the local media on our side. Um, and I always just thought, well, we just keep doing this. And eventually, like, the Radio 1 will come knocking because, you know, that's that'll happen. And of course it didn't happen. It didn't happen. We would just, we got consumed in creating the thing every day, which is why it was really good. But what we didn't do was start sending our stuff out. Like think about trying to leave and go elsewhere. Yeah. I just thought that the big media people would come and find me when, of course, what actually happens in real life is that I was, I wasn't the only person who thought they were brilliant and should be on the radio the the world the country was full of them and they weren't just sitting at the end of the drive of radio one or the bbc waving hoping they'd get noticed they were knocking on the door or climbing through the window or (laughs) coming down the chimney and working from the inside waiting to get noticed which that's what happens and i didn't see that i just i got too modest and i just sat there and wait and too comfortable Frankly, I was having so much fun being able to play what you want to play, which never happens. Being able to just laugh solidly for hours every single day. Like I had so much fun, but I also took my eye off what I had hoped to end up doing. And if you don't go and it, it taught me you want to get things, you've got to go and do it. 
now everything I have as a freelancer, as a business owner, pretty much I have to go out and get it. Sure, some stuff comes to me, but it's only because I'm creating things to draw people to me, isn't it? So, yeah. And, you know, if you want to sponsor for your podcast, if you want to win that award, you have to actually enter them. You have to reach out and put in that work because most, yeah. Ah, I wish I'd reload. Well, actually, I don't wish I'd done it differently because otherwise I wouldn't have the life I have now. But yeah, I love it. And that 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 was almost the mistake that made you. What we uh we decided that we chose on a we you overruled another one. I did. I did. <laughs> I did on a technicality because you weren't in business. You weren't a business no. owner. So I was like, I'm Steve. I'm sorry. It's a great one, but it just doesn't. It doesn't count. But we can talk about it still because I think it's a really great point. And when I um sit down and even just like list the great things that are going on for me, whether it's clients, whether it's opportunities, often it's like more times than not, it's things that I've put myself forward for, that I've pitched for. And so um actually someone just tagged me in a post that I wrote a few weeks ago on Instagram. If you're not following on following me on Instagram, go follow me at Iman Coffee Co. Because sometimes I come I come out with these nuggets, right? Um, here's my post. Stop waiting for things to land at your doorstep. Stop waiting to be invited. Start demanding the world sees you. Because we do, we just kind of sit around and think, you know what? Someone's gonna notice me, someone's gonna invite me, someone's gonna you know, give me that thing that I'm waiting for. And no one is, but you know what? Often the opportunity is so close. It's just, it's right there, mm. but you have to, you have to be proactive in, in making it happen in in like planting the seed in someone's mind. You know, I just pitched, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I just pitched my dreamiest of dream, dream clients as in one of those that, you know, I told someone and they were like, ah, oh. and I was like, yeah, I pitched her one email sequence. Cause I was like, I, I, this is what I can help you with. Um, and she came back and she said, you know what? I'd, I'd really love to work with you, but I don't want you to just do one email sequence. Actually, I want you to work on our whole email strategy. So let's book that call. I'm like, yes. Amazing. Yes. So the call is happening next week. And I guess by the time this goes out, we'll kind of know how it, how it went, <laughs> which will kind of be awkward and embarrassing if it's a no, but it was that close. It was mm. that close to me. I just had to. I just had to ask. And so now obviously it's on me to nail the sales call and all that good stuff. But you, sometimes you just got to ask. You got to put yourself forward. You do. There's this, I, I, gave, I got invited to give a talk to a load of year nine students, which incidentally, year, so year nine is what, 13? Yes, 14 years 13, old. 14. It was one of the scariest rooms of, I've ever entered, like a hundred year nine. Year, not just a hundred year nine students, a hundred year nine students who didn't want to be there. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, that was the thing. A, a bunch of year nine students who were just like, who is this guy? Why yeah. is he here? Why are you making us sit here and yeah. listen to him? But I remember I just sat there and I went, do you know what? N- no one is, the sooner you realize that no one is going to make s- stuff happen for you, the better, right? Yes, your parents love you. Yes, your teachers are looking out for you. But actually, they're all consumed with their own lives. You've got to get on and make your own stuff happen. You, could, you don't just sit there waiting and like you're thinking, oh, maybe one day I'll do this. No, do it now. <laughs> you have no idea how much spare time you have when you're a kid. Do it now. And um, maybe, you know, creating that vlog or videos or something now will suddenly put you higher up the, the chance of getting a job further down. Anyway, anyway, I went off on one at these yeah. kids, but nobody cared about them really. And they had to care about themselves. <laughs> and um, and afterwards, this teacher came up to me and I thought, oh, God, I'm going to get told off. Uh, but the teacher came up to me and they went, 
that was exactly what I needed to hear. I need to do something else. And I thought, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no, Steve, what have you done? They've just... They've lost the teacher. So it was the teacher who went and made it happen. (laughs) I don't know what happened to the kids. This was about 10 years ago. God knows what happened. Oh, that's so funny. You've got to look it up and find out because she probably, or he, they probably handed in the resignation that day. (laughs) Um, I feel, I feel like this is something that I am trying to teach my son. So he is almost eight and uh, sometimes he'll like, he'll ask me for something and it's very, like, you know, hinting, beating around the bush, you know, that thing. And I've actually, I've started saying this. Is there something that you want to ask me? Is there something you want to ask me? And he'll, he'll say, yeah. And I'll say, so ask me directly. Ask me exactly what you want to ask me. And then he'll re, he'll change the, he'll change the, the question, the conversation and actually directly ask me exactly what, what he wants to ask me because I want him to get into that habit of asking for exactly what he wants. And I told him, and I sat him down and maybe this is a bit too early, but you know, no, I feel like it's never too early. I sat him down and said, if you want something, you have to ask for it. And you can't assume that the person on the other side understands these hints and these, these things that you drop in. If you want something, you ask for it and you go for it. And so that's what we're working in this household. I also don't ask. I also don't let him win any of the games that we play. So right now we're into Uno. No, never. Uno connect for the whole shebang yeah wow. um, i don't let him win um, wow. and if so if he beats me it's because he's seriously skilled at these games and he actually really is and then it's so funny because other adults will come and i'll say don't let don't, don't let him win don't let him win play him seriously and he beats every single one of them and i'm like yes yes wow, amen. do you know <laughs> i kind of so i used to let them win right and you're absolutely right because i tell you what when they are suddenly 10 14 years old whatever they take no prisoners with you. Like they don't, it's like, dude, let me win sometimes. And it's like, no. And I'm like, come on. Do you know how many times I used to let you win? I love it. No, I'll see. I'll never be able to say that. Cause I never let him win ever. Sometimes I know sometimes, oh, okay. Maybe one time when he like actually cried and I was like, okay, maybe I'm taking this, maybe I'm taking this a bit too far. Like I'll let you in one time, but generally no. Fine. Because I'll let, I'll let you lessons. win that arm wrestle. <laughs> right yeah i'm trying to prepare you for the world mm. and um also it's really funny i've got him into like wanting to be a business owner he's like i want to do whatever whatever mom does like this podcast like this winning awards things this is what he said to me i i want i want to do that <laughs> he's like i don't want a boss i want to be the boss i'm like yes nice. yes yeah okay steve this has been so great i mean i had a, the, like a bunch of questions that i wanted to ask you um that we're, we're just not going to get time to to go into because otherwise we'll never get to the mistake so We'll have to leave that for another time. But um, we're going to get into what I actually invited you here for. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. You've got to ask for it though, Ima. <laughs> I've got to ask for it, Steve. I've got to ask for it. Steve, what is the mistake that made you? So I thought I had great regular freelance income lined up. So I quit my job. And then within weeks, the freelance work was gone and all my eggs were like in that one basket and it was just sitting at my feet. (laughs) And I want to add, your wife was pregnant at this point and was about to go on maternity leave. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she was on maternity leave. We had a baby. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
stick around don't go anywhere we'll get right back to this episode after this quick break business owners have been rolling into the new mistakes that made me private membership and i'm inviting you to join them this is your chance to unlock exclusive weekly bonus content on my private podcast which only members have access to content like my private q a series submit your business questions to me and get inside my business brain kate an interactive workbook designer has already submitted her question how do you pitch yourself to other podcasts And I've published a 20 minute answer that includes the cold pitch that got me onto one of my favorite podcasts. So members can see one of my cold pitches in action. Kate says she re-listened to my answer and took notes. That's how much I'm sharing inside this membership. You'll also get access to my bite-sized business diary. If you love getting the inside scoop when it comes to how I'm building my business, if you love my solo episodes, you'll love my 20 minute bite-sized business diary. Follow me in real time as I share the behind the scenes of my business, mistakes I'm making, lessons I'm learning, and the business and podcast related projects I'm working on. One of the bite-sized business diary entries I've shared is about why I decided to let go of my amazing social media manager. I know, shocking. You'll also get access to extended interviews with mistakes that made me guests. And yes, you'll get to submit your own questions to them. Jordan Gill's extended interview is available for you to listen to right now. And you'll get access to my private podcast newsletter. If you've been looking for some informal business coaching or at the very least, an honest insight into how my six-figure business works behind the scenes, this is your chance. Membership costs just $11 a month. No commitment, cancel anytime. This is also just a really great way for you to support the show. To get the details and become a member, head over to imancopyco.com slash membership or click the link in the show notes. I'll see you in there. Okay, when you told me this, I felt, I told you I felt sick. I felt physically sick. My stomach turned because that is literally your worst nightmare. So you you, you quit your radio job yeah. thinking you had, it was one client, right? Thinking you had this one client in the bag. And then they let you go. And yeah. And you had nothing. Because for, for, I don't know, well over a year, I'd been making regular stuff for them. And it got to the point where we were making like a regular, kind of like a video show for them at that studio, photo studio down the road. I would go in every week. We'd record a couple of episodes. They'd go out every single week. And, and it was good. I mean, it was a lot of work, but it was good money. And it was almost as much as I was earning. In my, I mean, admittedly, I wasn't earning that much in my full-time job, <laughs> but it was almost as much. And so the logic was like, well, I've got that. I just need to find some more of them and we're good to go. And in my resignation, that was my business plan. <laughs> that was, that was the whole business plan. Hand in the resignation and this one client is the whole business plan. Let's rewind. Let's go back. Take me back to the beginning. So at what point, first of all, did you think, did you start to think, okay, I could actually do this as a business. So maybe I, I should hand in my resignation. I think it, it was a chip, chip, chip. There was two things. One was the fact that because we did a breakfast show, I would l- literally get up at 4am and I was tired. I'd, I'd sometimes be working on client work until like midnight. Um, and we had a baby, so not even that sleep would have been sleep. You were sleep deprived. That's why you did what you did, basically. Um, 
but also the fact that was, my wife is the organized one she's the one who actually thinks about our future and plans things thank goodness i'm a bit too like make things up as i go along really and she was quite rightly thinking well if i'm going back to work who is gonna what are we gonna do with our children and and when the older one is no longer at nursery and needs taking to school and the nursery and the school drop-offs are at different times like how are we gonna do that and so it was that thing of well i mean to be fair like i'd i was kind of the by this point i'd kind of i didn't want to become like <laughs> no it sounds disrespectful to people who are but i didn't want to become like this bloke in my 40s who was still on the local radio station and had been doing it since he was 20 like i didn't <laughs> i didn't want to be doing that i'd kind of maybe had enough of doing that i'd had a lot of fun I'd done that dream job, but I had this other opportunity and it was an opportunity that meant I could work from home. That wasn't something that I thought I could have done maybe 10 years earlier. It just wasn't mm. technologically and things that people were asking for. So here's this chance to look after the kids, be there. And, you know, like I was the only dad at the school gates. <laughs> it's very different now after the pandemic, but I was the only one pretty much squeezing in a bit of work here and there but it, it all came from that sort of conversation with my wife where it's like well what are we gonna do well maybe i could do it and if it doesn't work out i thought well i can always just go and get a proper job in quotation marks you know mm -hmm. but goodness knows how we'll actually look after our children but still <laughs> okay you've quit your job yeah you're excited about starting your business your wife has just had the baby do you know though it's funny sorry to interrupt but you say you're okay. excited about starting your business Oh. I didn't necessarily see it that way. Yes. I remember us going to Australia and my wife going to people, oh, yeah, 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 Steve started his own business. I'm not doing the accent. <laughs> Steve started his own business. And I would think she was saying that because maybe she was ashamed of <laughs> what I really was. Because I thought, I'm not, am I? I'm not starting a business. I'm just freelancing. I'm just taking money off of people on the internet and... Yeah, I honestly, That's so sad, which is Steve. why, so now maybe she's, maybe well, she's embarrassed. I don't think oh, no. she was. What she was, was she was what, what she was, was right. She don't, was. Don't tell her that. Um, no, but I had started a business and I wish I'd realized it soon. So now like, I have a course for new freelancers and the very first lesson is, yes, the course is called how to get started being freelance, but really this should be how to get started being a business. It took me maybe a year or more to realize I was a business. So you say I was excited about being starting a business. I, I didn't realize I was starting a business. <laughs> That's so interesting. And I'm totally with you. It's one of the things that I say to the business owners that I coach as well, because the more seriously you take yourself, the more seriously other people will take you. It's only when you don't take yourself seriously that others also won't. So I totally agree with you. You're a business owner. It 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 changes everything when you have that mindset. When, when it changes the way you deal with your finances, it changes the way you think about your pricing, your rates, investing in yourself. Like when you're a business owner, you're suddenly think you know businesses have research and development and human resources that look after their employees and all of these things which you have to do for yourself. But no, I, I was just kind of like gonna make yeah make do, keep getting up each morning and doing the thing. It makes you think much bigger and much better. It does. It really does. So I don't know if you remember this, but can you take us back? <laughs> 
to the moment that you found out that the this one freelancing job which was was paying you how much like it was a few thousand a month right so you were thinking we can this is a thing this is gonna be a thing this is great get a few more of these i'll be good um can you take us back to the moment that you that they let you go oh my gosh i mean i i can't honestly remember it entirely (laughs) i do remember feeling a bit sick because i'd already handed in my notice we had plane tickets to australia like i mean oh gosh i don't know like it it's that thing where you think i mean it's quite a good lesson to learn in itself in that i'm just gonna i'm i I found them i'll find other people like i remember i didn't want to panic too much i didn't want to like worry too much because i didn't want to panic my wife about where the work was going to come from and things like that i knew that people per hour in itself was full of people wanting jobs done and i was just going to have to put more effort into applying for things and reaching out to people who i knew in real life and but it, it did it's it's quite a sickening feeling to have that kind of ripped away from you when that was the one constant reliable thing you were banking on it well i didn't have a much of a plan but that was that that was <laughs> that was a big part of the plan <laughs> they were the plan i love that you were feeling optimistic because i mean I, I don't know if i would have felt optimistic in that moment but i'm glad you did i'd love to just dive in a little bit into the arrangement that you had with this client did they owe you any kind of like advance notice when they were letting you go was 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 there a contract in place anything like that i didn't have a contract they owed me nothing actually in fairness do you know what they were really decent they were really nice um they didn't just whip it totally out from under my feet as in we carried out making you know the four episodes that we had planned or whatever do you know like they Mm -hmm. because they didn't have to they could have said so what happened was they um the company and I had a really good relationship with them, got uh, investment. And those investors were like, okay, let's look at our marketing plan. And basically I no longer, or video content in general, no longer, but me in particular, <laughs> did not feature <laughs> as part of that. And that's fine. Um, but yeah, they they were actually pretty decent. They, I still got to finish the ones I was working on, even though at this point, you know, I wouldn't have been asking for anything up front. I wouldn't have been, you know, I would have delivered them in and then invoiced them. And... Yeah. Gosh. Okay. It sounds like from what you've told us about your wife, that she's super supportive um, and not at all embarrassed, <laughs> just super supportive. Um, and I feel like not everyone has that. In fact, some people have the complete opposite. So I'd love to know if you're open to sharing what that conversation was like with with your wife when you told her as 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 someone who's just given birth oh my gosh who's still on maternity leave oh, i right. feel sick steve <laughs> i feel sick um, what was that conversation with her like hey by the way i cannot for the life of me remember and i know that isn't a very good story no but that might be a good thing but i think i think based on what i'm like I would have minimized it because I wouldn't have wanted to put the panic on her 
Like, it's okay. You know, I imagine it would have been, it'll be okay. I'll get other things. And yeah, it was up to me to figure that out, really. It's what's not her problem. It was my <laughs> problem <laughs> to fix. Officially your problem to fix. I love the way that you approach this in that, okay, well, it sounds like you were like, there's no point in, no point in panicking. Let's, let's just figure this out. So what happened next? What were some of the steps you took to find your next client? I would just be a lot more diligent about searching for the online jobs on people per hour. Um, and the reason I said, cause I, I did also sign up for like Elance and Odesk, which became Upwork. I don't think I signed up for Fiverr because at the time that was very much low grade stuff as like, the whole concept was literally here's something i'll do for fiverr like, i need a bit more than five dollars thanks people per hour actually had some really good jobs on it and so i just i think i just went heavy on apply like because the thing with those sites is <clears throat> you need to get in early so you need to visit them a few times a day see when the new jobs come available pick the ones that you're right for and then apply for them so like i remember there was like a ski resort in the alps who wanted a video made of their chalets and stuff so suddenly i'm making that uh the video producer who i knew no it's not video producer the photographer who whose studio i've been using um he and i uh you know i started making more things for him and through some connections that he had we started making some videos for like local businesses um, one of those, uh, led on to some other work. Uh, what else did I, oh, and then I tell you what I really did. I sent a lot of cold emails. Yes. But the, the, the thinking that I had was who might need me? What if you're a web developer, for example, who wants to offer videos for your website? So I, I put, lots of feelers out for that kind of thing. I built up a relationship with uh, an animator who I met on People Per Hour. I would voice and write animations and then he would animate them. And sometimes the jobs would come via me and sometimes they would come via him and things like that. And we still work together often 10 years later. But from that, so I remember somebody contacted me and said, hey, we need an animation like this. Can you do it like that? And I was like, uh, I can't, but I know someone who can. And he was like, oh, I just kind of want to deal with you. I was like, okay, well, so I hired the animator. And he's like, okay, we need the script. I said, great. And he went, oh, and we need it done in 12 other languages. I was like, what? Um, and I was like, okay, well, how, how do I? Okay, fine. That's not a problem. Leave it with me. I need the work. And I went and found, at the time, it would be a lot easier to do this these days. I went and found translators. I went and found voiceover artists in all of those different countries we created scripts over because me and the animator didn't know the languages so we created it so it was very obvious what language he needed to put where because each one had to have different text but what was really good about that moment was that it made me realize that i and this was kind of critical for the next few years of my business was that i could hire other people to do the things that i can't do and that all the client really cares about is me solving their problem. 
doing their thing. So they don't care how it's getting done necessarily. They just want these videos made. And at first I was like, oh, I feel bad, like charging extra on top of, you know, like, cause I'm giving this money to that voiceover artist. And, and then I was like, no, they don't, the client doesn't care. They could go and do this all themselves, but they're not because it's a nightmare. But I'm being paid to take that nightmare away and make it this beautiful dream. So that was crucial because so much of the next few years of my business, as it really did become a business, were based on me providing services that I couldn't necessarily do myself, but offering them to people anyway, subtitling, translation, hiring different voiceovers other than myself, because I only do this one voice um i can do it slightly lower but that's about it i can do serious and happy but that's it but one of the crucial emails that i sent and i so i would have sent it when i even when we were in australia i was like checking freelance job sites and things like that and part of me wishes i hadn't i wish i'd just enjoyed my holiday a bit more but i was really conscious that i needed work when i came back and one of the emails i wrote was to a local company as in local to where I live, but they're actually an international company. They just happen to be based in my town. And every day, me and my son would walk past their office on our afternoon walk. He'd go to nursery in the morning. I'd pick him up at half 12. We'd go for a walk, wave at the trains. You know the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd walk past these offices and I'd often think, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could just work for one of these offices in this stable block? Uh, I wonder who is in those offices. So I went on Google and found out who they all were. And I found this one particular one and I thought, oh, maybe I – there's something I could offer them this thing. So I sent them an email and I just essentially got lucky. That was the one cold email that really paid off because it landed on someone's desk who had their eyes open to the potential of what we could do with animation and things for their businesses. And I had a meeting with them uh, on the very first day that my daughter went to nursery in that April, I went in and met with the guy. And I have been working with them on and off for the past 10 years, creating videos for like big international companies. Because what happened was we made marketing vid- videos for this company, but their clients saw them and went, oh, you do that? We'd like that. And suddenly we were, yeah, it it was, it was, well, it was lucky, but <laughs> I also seized that opportunity taking on that thing that I'd learned that I can hire other people to help me create the bigger thing. All this company wants is the video. A video is much bigger than just me and one person. I don't even film anything, but we can do it. Sure. That, that kind of became the thing I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, so much I want to talk about. The first thing is I love that what worked for you 10 years ago is still working for me (laughs) now Uh, called email pitching like I mentioned before has been really great for me and I think it's it's about what you said it's it's all about getting the timing right and you don't know if your timing is going to be right you've just got to send the pitch and on the other side of that you might you that email might reach someone who actually was has been thinking about this and, you know, it's been on their mind. It's been something that they want to do, but actually maybe they don't have the resources or they don't have the energy or they don't even know where to begin to find someone who might be able to do something like that. So for you to just send the pitch is you putting yourself in front of 
of people and it might it might be the exact right time and that's that's all you need and guess what if it's not the right time then great they still know you and they still know how you can help if the right time comes Mm -hmm. if they change their mind and and they still need someone so that is really great to see as i'm not biased at all as an email strategist um (laughs) yeah it was it, I, I, I did also, I got some other work out of those cold emails and I, I used the word cold because I really didn't know, know the people, but they were, they were tailored to each person. I did yes. put in stuff that was about them and what they did and what I thought, you know, we might be able to do together. But it's not like I'd spent time getting to know them on social media or LinkedIn or anything, but maybe I might do these days. But yeah, thank goodness I sent them. Thank goodness. I do want to say that's so important. Um, not just blasting people with this general template that you've come up with. It really is about personalizing the pitch, about thinking specifically about how you can help that one business. Yeah. What might they most be interested in? Um, I, I spend maybe, uh, I say, I want to say I spend maybe an hour and a half doing research on the business. Uh, um, this is the whole process, an hour and a half, not an hour and a half doing research, but I do research on the business. Um, you know, what they, what they've got in place already, what they haven't got in place, where I could come in and help them. Um, and I actually, I actually use Loom now to record, um, videos, like video walkthroughs of like, Hey, I've, I'm in your email funnel because I'm an email strategist and copywriter. So I'm always going to want to go in and help them with their emails. I sign up to that email list, you know, maybe a few days, a week before I want to send the pitch. I'm planning. This is all planned ahead of time. And then I, I actually, you know, analyze it. And then, and then I record them a walkthrough and say, look, this is, this is exactly how I can help you. This is what I do. This is how I've helped other people do a similar thing. Hope you don't mind that I did this. Give them loads of compliments as well in there because, you know, you don't want to be showing up in someone's inbox like, Hey, this, these are all the things you do entirely wrong. <laughs> no, completely opposite. And then, and then I send that pitch. And so it, it really is personalized, but that one and a half hours of, of just like dedicated time to this can mean, like you said, a very long and profitable relationship with, with a business that although, otherwise would have no idea who you are. Yeah, definitely. It, you know, Knock, knocking on doors or on email inboxes like uh, like i said i sat there comfortably for years nobody noticed me now i realize i should be going out there and actually knocking on doors yes love it so you've spoken a lot about using people per hour and um elancer elance um and kind of those uh those kind of websites because this was you know 10 years ago are you still using those websites now if yes or if no how do you get clients now? The short answer. Am I using? Okay. Yes. Technically, I still am on people per hour. The only thing that I do on there. So I never look for work on there anymore, but I have a thing up there for voiceovers. And so basically it's like, so if somebody were to search for voiceover, it brings up a load of profiles and it would have my video and they can literally click buy on me doing a voiceover. Like it's the easiest sell. And frankly, because it's voiceovers, it's the easiest job. Sorry, voiceovers. <laughs> but, but it's not like, it's not like, you know, like if somebody were to hire me to write a script, that might take me a day, right? Mm-hmm. So I need a day in my schedule. But if somebody 
asked me just to record a voiceover, well, I can carve out 10, 15 minutes, half an hour. However, like I can easily squeeze that in. So since I have such a good profile on there, I have left it on there, but I haven't added that to Fiverr or Upwork or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe I should. I do think those sites, you know, for other freelancers, those sites are very crowded. I got in there very early. So I built up a reputation and a, pro- you know, like, cause every time you get hired, you get reviewed and things like that. So I look like a trusted person to, to buy from on there. So how do I get clients? Mostly it is a case of word of mouth, I guess, referrals. Occasionally me reaching out to people, maybe if I've seen them posting on LinkedIn about something or they've asked for somebody and somebody's referred me and then I've reached out to them if I think I'm good for it. I still get a lot of work through clients that maybe I cold pitched two years ago and they still come to me. But a lot of it is word of mouth because the the simple fact is one of my guests on being freelance once said that the secret to their business was to just keep meeting people and that really stayed with me the more people you meet the more people know what you do so long as you talk about it and you sort of stay on their radar the more they're likely they're going to refer you to somebody so now if somebody's like oh i'm thinking of starting a podcast somebody's going to think of me most likely uh maybe amongst other people but they're going to think of me in fact, a lot of people who know me because of podcasts probably don't even really know I make videos and stuff, but maybe they've seen my YouTube channel that I used to do and stuff like that, or they've seen me creating things like social videos for podcasts that I make and experiment with online. So creating all that content and keeping putting it out there keeps me known by people. Creating the community by accident that I created for freelancers, again, builds this sort of network of people who I know and that they I know what they do they know what I do so it's I think it's really that it's definite I definitely long 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 ago did not get I didn't need people per hour like maybe a year or so after that first (laughs) incident (laughs) that first incident um yeah so that's that's it's it kind of sounds a bit Random. There's this sort of like relying on chance that the work will keep coming to you. But I think so long as I keep putting myself out there and my reputation speaks for myself, then people will keep sort of passing my name around seems to be what happens. Love it. So we haven't spoken very much about your other, um, I don't know if you think of them as businesses, but um, your other the other stuff that you do, <laughs> you do so much, <laughs> the other projects, you're very much, I mean, when I think of you, I think of you being as so good at creating communities. So you have the Being Freelance podcast, you have the Doing It For The Kids podcast, both of those each have communities, really active, like really valued communities. And you're so good at that. So I'm interested in knowing whether starting the Being Freelance podcast because that was the one that came first. Your first episode came out in January 2015. I did check this. That's a long time, right? Yeah. Did you create that as a potential source of, of, of clients, of marketing yourself, of being able to get more clients? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> look, in hindsight, if I was doing that, and maybe I should have done that, 
was I would have started a podcast where I was exploring the ways businesses could use video marketing and podcasts and spoken to businesses who were doing it really well and things like that. Like that would have been the sensible thing. No, what I did was go with just what I wanted to do. And that was in that first year, because you say it was January 2015. So that's a year after I first went full-time freelance, albeit looking after a baby. And in that time, when I didn't have much work on, you know, I'd be pottering around the house or going to the park and I'd be listening to podcasts. And I want, I didn't know any freelancers. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. It seems weird to think this now, but there weren't any podcasts like this one. There just weren't any free, there weren't podcasts telling you how to do social media. There weren't podcasts telling you how to run a freelance business. Believe it or not. There were some entrepreneur podcasts. Um, but they were all no disrespect Americans. They were all very American entrepreneur podcasts. I didn't see myself as an entrepreneur for a start, but I started listening to them and thinking, Oh, if only there was something like this that was about freelancers. So I started searching and I found people speaking about their freelance businesses like Maybe it was graphic designers talking about graphic design or web developers talking about web design, you know, but nobody talking about actually being freelance and how to survive doing that. So I thought, well, I'll do it then. So that was my, that's what I did in that first year. And then in the second year, I started it. It was never meant to get me clients. It was never meant to be a business. Uh, it was just like a side project. It was a year after that that I then started the vlog, being freelance vlog, filming myself doing all these things. Um, it was kind of keeping me creative in, uh, and learning, frankly. I was mm -hmm. learning from people how, yeah, how to do this because I had no idea. So for context, the Being Freelance podcast, if you've not listened to it, go listen to it because it's a great podcast. One of the first that I was started listening to when I started my business, you, you talk to other freelancers and they share their kind of journey into freelance and how they do freelance and how, how they run their businesses. It's a really, really great podcast. Also, you have recently monetize the podcast you have you have sponsors sometimes you have the being freelance community you have really cool merch which i have bought you've inspired me to look into merch for this podcast but i'm also like you man stop spending money don't get too excited calm down <laughs> i don't think we're at the merch stage yet maybe i don't know if you think we are let me know <laughs> maybe i'll look into it so that's some other kind of uh, sources of revenue that you have at the moment as well just just to, I just want to add that information just so that we have like a, a full picture of yeah. what your businesses look like. Do you know though, it grew, it grew very organically, accidentally. Like I didn't mean it to be a business. I would, st until even a year ago, I was, I was calling it a side project. And yes, uh, when you show up enough and you're creating something which is quality, uh, luckily, like a company reached out to me and was like, you know, can we sponsor your podcast? We want to reach an audience of freelancers. And that then made me go, oh, here's a thing. So then it was like, okay, I'll, I can get sponsors for the podcast. And I got some really good sponsors for the podcast as well. But even that, like, this just kind of like keep creating, keep doing it. It was never my main thing 
was the business of making podcasts and videos for other people. Being freelance was this thing I did to help myself and then in a, obviously helping other people. And it was more just philanthropic. And in fact, I would, I would go and speak at events about freelancing in order to try and grow the podcast. And I had some people come up to me and was like, really love what you're doing, Steve, but how do you monetize it? And I would just feel a bit stupid because I was like, well, I don't really. I have some, like, they, they, they could see something that I hadn't. Like, they could, like, why would this guy put so much time and energy into this thing if he wasn't trying to make money out of it <laughs> or off of people? When I was like, I just want to help people and be nice. Yeah. So it accidentally became a business. But this is why it's so important to to do things that you want to do versus doing things that you should do. Because like you said, you, you, you just said, if I had thought about it, I should have done a podcast about video editing, audio editing, that kind of thing to bring in more clients. But instead of doing what you should have done, you did what you wanted to do. And I think when you're pulled to do something and you have no other reason to do it other than because I want to, kind of like this podcast, actually, you just never know what that's going to bring you. You just never know what it's going to lead to. So I really do feel like if, if you want to do something just because, give yourself the permission and the space to just do it just because I want to. And not everything has to be monetized. Not everything has to make you No, money. it really does. It's, it's a danger, isn't it? But you think everything has to be a business. And actually, <laughs> it doesn't have to be. But it did become... It did become uh, you know you talk about merch but really that started almost by accident as well and that was because somebody was moaning this was five years ago they were moaning about awards being given to freelancers and like this person on the internet had been you know emailed saying hey you've won this award and they were like oh brilliant and then it was like so send us 250 pounds and you can be at this thing and he was like oh hang on so he was moaning about it on twitter and i was like right enough of this next week we're having our own award ceremony live at 11 a.m. It's going to be called the Non-Employee of the Week Awards and the winner gets biscuits. And everybody was like, yes, this was on Twitter. Uh, and so the next week, uh, so yeah, the night before I made a, a glittery envelope, me and my daughter made, <laughs> well, in fact, I asked her, do you have any glittery card and things that I can make an envelope of? Will you help me? And she was like, no, it's your thing. And went off to watch Peppa Pig. Um, so I sat there making a glittery envelope and put a gold card inside it. And I, I opened it. I went live on Twitter and I opened the envelope and, um, and then said some nice things about the person's business, said their name. And then I did this run around this empty office block that was next to my co-work space cheering. And it just kind of caught, it took off. Um, but I thought, in order to like give away like a, a prize like this, you've got to have a trophy. So I had a mug made and on one side I put the being freelance logo. And on the other side, we put the words non-employee of the week. And that was the first bit of merch. It wasn't even then it wasn't made to be sold and make me money. I was literally losing. I was paying to make mugs out of my own money, buying biscuits and then posting them, which isn't cheap, by the way. <laughs> to, so Ev, I've given away hundreds of these trophies so even the merch wasn't monetizing <laughs> it was giving stuff away but that's what is but no but that's what that's why it works though because you were responding to something you were listening to your audience and you were 
responding. And while it was, you know, sucking your money at the beginning, it was taking your money. Well, it's turned into this amazing thing that, that, um, that we all love and enjoy. And by the way, I, I was a non-employer of the week award winner. I was, um, number 36, winner number 36 <laughs> out of now 88. Oh and no, no, no. So oh. It's, it's way There's over a hundred. Oh. I stopped There's adding only 88 on your website. Yeah. I stopped adding them to the website. Oh, it got, was it too much? Yeah. I've, I'm busy. I'm busy going to the post office all the time. I can only imagine. But I, I, I love my mug. I love my packet of biscuits. I think I even had the bookmark that said, yes. um, like, don't, was it, what was it? Don't stop meeting people or the, the quote that you shared? just, just keep meeting people. And on the just other side, it said, don't freak out. Two great don't freak quotes. Out. Yeah. Yes. Love it. So yeah, I was very excited to get that award, by the way. And as someone who I was quite new to freelancing when, when you gave me that and it was so nice and it was so, I really valued it because it felt like just being seen mm. by my, you know, peers. I was really early on in, in starting my business when I won that. So thank you for that. Do you know, I, that's lovely to hear. And people do like, it really does mean something like it started, like it was meant to be silly, but the person who first won it, a guy called Gareth Hancock, I did mean everything I said about his business and every single winner, like I meet, I look into their business and I see what they're doing online. I see why they're nice to other people. Like I genuinely mean it and celebrate it. And we get so little recognition, don't we? It's just us doing our thing week in, week out. So I think just having somebody go, actually, you're doing a great job meant, meant something. And that, that, yeah, that was exactly five years ago. It was just before Christmas in 20, whatever. (laughs) 25 years ago <laughs> maybe 20, 2018 i think ago. i think it was 2018 because then the following january i start or february i started the being freelance community mm-hmm. so, um because i'd already always resisted creating a facebook group because other ones existed but off the back of the non-employed a week awards i thought oh, actually i'm having all of these conversations with all of these people who email me about the podcast or about you know wouldn't it be great if they all could speak together? So I sort of created a Facebook group and just hundreds joined almost immediately. And suddenly there was like a thousand and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> Again, not monetizing it. <laughs> um, but it was such, it was just the best, best thing really. And it, or it, yeah, just came off the back of that. Yeah. I mean, definitely go check out steve's being freelance community the podcast the vlog all of it is just so valuable so much fun um and the people in the community are great as well so let's move on to the next part of this how did quitting your job and then being let go (laughs) how did this mistake make you you know how did it help you become the business owner you are today I think a couple of things. One, it made me realize to avoid having all my eggs in one basket. Uh, And when we were in Australia, we stayed with my brother-in-law and he had this big plot of land up in Darwin. To be fair, everybody in Darwin has a big plot of land because there's so much land. But anyway, they kept chickens and my son and I went and collect these eggs and he was four and he ran so happy with these eggs literally in his basket and he tripped on the way across the lawn and all but one of them broke and i thought oh my goodness how much more do i need this 
spelled out for me. <laughs> um, so yes, quite literally in front of me was this thing, do not put all your eggs in one basket. And so I've always been very keen since then to try not to let. Now, I've heard many different rules, one of which is like, don't let one client be more than 20% of your revenue. Because that's the power in freelancing. If we have all these different streams coming into our river, if one of them dries up, we've still got a river. But if you're just relying on one stream to fill it, suddenly the river's gone. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the beauty of it, should be having all of these different things. But it's really hard when you have a client who keeps coming to you for stuff. Like, why would you turn that away? <laughs> why would you turn it away? Because it's brilliant. You want the work. So I still struggle with it, but it is always in my mind never to let myself be in that position again. But also what came off of it was the fact that, like we said, like looking for work, reaching out to people. Inadvertently, I didn't realize growing a network and creating content and being known. All of that came from that moment so that ultimately I would get work from more than just one source and to the point where work would be coming towards me you know something that stuck out to me was that you said most of your clients come from word of mouth referrals and I think one of the mistakes that business owners make is only relying on word of mouth referrals and I do just want to I guess highlight the difference between what you said and solely relying on word of mouth referrals because here's the thing you get most of your clients from word of mouth referrals. So do I. But at the same time, you never stop marketing. You're always marketing. You're always sharing your content, producing content. You're always putting yourself out there so that people know that you're, you're available to be hired and you're available. Like pay me. This is how you can pay me. Um, and I think some business owners make the mistake of relying on word of mouth referral and that's it. They're not doing anything else. Either they're even maybe caught up so much in the work that they're doing, maybe they're super busy that, you know, that they they just look up one day when they've finished all that work and then realize, oh, wait, there are no more clients. There's, yeah. there's no one out. I, I was so busy doing this work, relying on word of mouth referrals that I wasn't doing anything else. So I do just want to say that that's not what you are doing. You are getting your work from word of mouth referrals, but you're also doing the marketing too. Yeah, sometimes it can feel like their word of mouth when really something else has triggered that, something else is fed into that as well, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. Where where has why has that person referred you? Well, it's because of this, this and this, this knock-on effect yes. of doing great work, being nice to people, of putting yourself out there staying top of mind maybe reaching out to people and like just being genuine like it's so many different things and some it's hard to you it's hard to look at your own internal analytics and figure out what all of that is and so people say oh yeah it's word of mouth yeah it's word of mouth yes which sounds like you didn't do anything (laughs) well exactly exactly and you said exactly what i wanted to say which was it's sometimes it's not as black and white as it was this one thing like you know i have on my contact form how did you hear about me and then i give them the option to select one way that they heard about me when in reality it's usually someone told them about me but then you know they then they join my newsletter or then they follow me on instagram or then they start listening to my podcast and so it's these all these different things working together to to bring that person to me yeah absolutely i've started asking people when they join the being freelance community which is now a paid membership that was like 
that's when it really felt like that became a business. And that was really only so we could get off Facebook. Now, when people join, I say, out of interest, right? What, why, why today? Why did you join today? What was it? And the answers are so broad. Like it'll be, some people will be like, oh yeah, but, and I submit, right? Bear in mind, I might never have heard of this person. And they'll be, oh, like, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast on and off for years. I use, I watched your vlogs when I started um, freelancing. And then somebody mentioned in this co-working thing I was doing. And I thought, oh, yeah, I used to do that. And that, like, it's this, all these balls sort of like knocking together and eventually building up enough momentum for somebody to go, oh, yeah, maybe I should check out what the heck that is. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. it's it's crazy how all of this stuff sort of builds up rather than just one, you know, I, th- I think we grow up thinking that we buy something because we saw an advert, like we saw an advert on TV that made us want a toy or a Coke or whatever. And actually that's, it's not that at all. It's so much more than that. Absolutely. And also it's the constant reinforcement of that same message over and over and over and over again until, like you said, it builds up that momentum of, okay, let me go, let me go try out this thing. Let me go check out this thing. Let me go buy this thing. Let me go hire this person. hundred percent. I wonder if you have any, any tips or strategies or advice around how business owners can prevent something like this happening to them where, you know, they, they, they think they have this job lined up and it's going to go on for a while, but then the client ends ends the contract or whatever or just you know let you go type of thing anything that we can do to prevent this to just make it a little bit safer for us as business owners well i know like i should probably say oh have a contract and yada yada and you probably absolutely should but ultimately if that client wants to let you go even the contract isn't gonna keep you there you know so I think you always have to, even with like a, some kind of retainer relationship, assume that that could end. Like at some point, it probably will. Somebody who hired you will move on. They won't need you anymore. Financial pressures will mean they take it in house. Somebody will leave and they'll bring it in and give it to somebody else that they happen to know from another company when someone new joins. Like, so. I think you have to assume that it could end. And therefore, what are the other things? which could take its place. And so hopefully you have more than one thing possibly lined up at a time. And that's tricky. Like if you, um, like I work on lots of different things at once. I know some people work on just one thing focused and then they move on to the next thing. So it's, it's slightly different, but yeah, I I think that's the main thing. Assume that it won't, (laughs) but it won't keep going forever because if it does, brilliant. But otherwise, you've got all of these other potential things going on. Also, you can do things where maybe if if you, you know, if too much work, in quotation marks, start to come to you, yes, you could simply say, I can't take that on now and refer it. Or you could say, I can't take it on right now. Can we come to it in a month? Or you could say, I can't take it on right now, but a member of my team will or however you want to phrase it, and start to do what I did, which was to think, okay, I've got this massive project. I can't possibly write all these scripts now, even though I'm capable of writing the scripts. I will go and hire a team of scriptwriters or whatever. Uh, I need more animators because my one animator can't help me with that. So it started to think 
more and do, do you know that doesn't suit everyone so don't go thinking you have to grow a business don't go thinking you have to hire people and all of that i don't want you to think that's the answer but it's just sometimes thinking how could i take on that work and do it without necessarily doing it all mm-hmm. um and then i and then i think because of that you can have perhaps more revenue streams coming in uh, but i think also the thing that i wish i'd done was to realize that you could have you should be having savings so that if a project disappears you can still keep paying yourself your salary in effect but you've got a buffer of cash but in order to do that you need to be pricing all your things properly so that you can afford to put a bit of money aside for that rainy day or that slightly dented basket if not dropped basket so it all kind of like you know it's all it's all easily said and done steve thanks very much (laughs) but last year in 2023 in june this client who I had been making their podcast for two and a half years, not on a strict retainer contract or anything, just this assumed thing. We were all having a lovely time. Everyone was happy. Financial pressures meant they took the editing in-house and just like that, not even any notice, they, they, they dropped me. And that was a huge, like making a podcast every week, that's actually quite a big chunk of time and money. And that made a huge difference. But because I had savings... I was able to sort of like keep going and like kick everything into gear that was going to bring me other work. So that, you know, all those, I don't know, pokers that were in the fires sort of came to, I had the wrong mm-hmm. analogy. There must be a thing. We, we, we got it. <laughs> no, I, you're totally right though. Yeah. You're totally right. I think the savings thing is a huge part that I think um, enough business owners and like business coaches and that kind of thing don't talk about that. It is so important to have savings, to be constantly saving, um, to not maybe pay yourself all the money that you could when things are great. Because um, this really is an inevitability. Like you said, it's going to happen. It's going to happen that your clients let you go at some point. And I guess the 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 answer in this is, well, how well have you prepared for it? How well can you prepare for it? And I think that's what changed the game for me was to stop expecting this, this, I guess this, this whole business thing to be like stable and sustainable every single month and stable every single month. And it's just not the case. Being a business owner and having a business means this is, this is a roller coaster. (laughs) So how well are you prepared for the roller coaster? It's one of the things I did have savings the past few months. Um, things have really picked up now, but oh my gosh, the past few months were completely quiet. It was so quiet. And in that time, because I'd managed my money well, when things were good, it meant that I didn't have to let go any of my team. I didn't have to let go of my social media manager. I didn't have to let go of my, my online business manager. I could keep those people and keep my business running in the background. I could still pay myself and not have to like start panicking and canceling everything. And, you know, it really makes a difference. And I think, I mean, you said so many important things. Let's talk about the contract thing for a second. I remember having a retainer client who signed my contract and agreed that she would give me 30 days notice. I didn't even ask for that much. Like, just give me 30 days notice. If you don't want to continue with this retainer contract. But actually what she did was, and I mean, she was the loveliest person, but maybe she just didn't get how retainers work because one month she'd be like, yeah, let's do this. And we do the work. And the next month she'd be like, oh, you know, actually don't want to do it this month. Uh, let's do it next month instead. And I'm thinking... Yeah, that's not how retainers work. This is not how retainers work. <laughs> so 
also very quickly realized that my contract is more of a let's set the expectations and requirements for one another versus if you break this, there are going to be lawyers involved. That's not, it's not what it is for me anyway, at my business size. Um, but I think a contract is really helpful because it does set expectations and it mm. does set requirements. And I, I think with my social media manager now, Nyla, I just had a conversation with her where she said, um, look, I'm going to ask clients from now on to sign a three month contract. Like every three months, we're going to check in. Do you still want to move forward? And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. So I know up until, you know, X date that I'm locked in for this. And then she also said, as well, if you decide to break a contract or, you, you know, you don't want to keep working together, can you give me a month's notice? And me, as someone who, you know, likes to keep her promises, I know now that that's what I will do. And so, yes, not everyone will accept your contract and follow your contract, but some will, some will. And that's when it becomes really helpful. Yeah, that's and I, it becomes really helpful. I think uh, what you say there is great about we can think of contracts as being these lengthy, wordy legal agreements that we don't necessarily look at, but we get from our mobile phone company or, you know, Dropbox <laughs> or Google or whoever. But really, like the, 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 the actual legal bit of the contract is, is almost like this fail safe to get you out of trouble and them out of trouble if something goes wrong. The important bit is right there in the email or in the discussion and backed up with the email to say, here's what we're going to do together. Here's how it's like. So it, you need to kind of lift it out of the contract. So it's really obvious for them what you'd like, yes. what your boundaries are, what your expectations are, what you're going to deliver, how it's going to go. And, and to think as well that a lot of clients don't, they might not have worked with someone like you before to do the thing that you're doing before as well. So it's a chance for you to set out how you want it to work. And like you say, like they might just think, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just drop them the same as we drop our milkman or whatever. But I don't know why I picked milkman. If, if, if our back, milkman Steve. is, if our milkman is listening, I have no intention of dropping you, mate. You do a cracking job. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think if you put it out there that that is what you expect then they like, oh, yeah, okay, actually, yeah, I need to think about this a bit more carefully. I can give this person more notice. Mm -hmm. What you said is just so important. Communicate it to them in another way as well, because just assume they're not going to read it. Just assume that all those things that we do, when every time we tick that box that's like, you agree to our terms and conditions and we don't read them and we just tick them and we keep going, assume that that's what your client is doing. So if there's anything really important that you want them to know, then you want to communicate that verbally just have the conversation with them. Let them know, by the way, this is, this is in the contract. This is in our, in our agreement by signing it. This is what you're agreeing to so that you know that they've had this communicated to them in another way. You've had this conversation yeah. and, you know, hopefully you have nice, you're working with nice people who will respect that. Also just want to say, I loved, I mean, check out Steve's vlog. If you want to hear more about how he subcontracts, I really wanted to get into that today, but we have so run out of time, <laughs> but I also now subcontract. I, when, if I have, clients like dream clients dream projects that come to me there's no way i want to say no to them especially knowing that business is a roller coaster so that's also what i do now um it's a yes 
let's do it. And then I, I have a small team behind me where we can, we can work together. But I just, I do want to say I tried this in the past and it did not work. It went terribly. Actually, I ended up like redoing all the work. So it does really take time to build that team, to find people that you trust. And this is why it's so important to build relationships way ahead of the time that you actually need them. Figure out who's good at what, who's doing what, who can help, who's interested in potentially working with you on stuff in the future, because then when the opportunity comes, you can just get everything and everyone into action. For sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So Steve, what do you want others to learn from your mistake and your experience? Do not let your son carry all the eggs. No. I mean, it, it, the trouble with sayings like don't put all your eggs in one basket they they sound so simple and obvious and stupid don't they but there's a reason that saying came about and it's because everybody put their eggs in one basket and then dropped it and then went man those chickens aren't going to lay anymore till tomorrow or whatever um seriously don't put all your eggs in one basket (laughs) it's as simple as it's but it's so easy not to do it's so easy to rely on certain things. And if you think that it's not going to be okay, that maybe that one client won't be there forever, then you will broaden your horizons, you'll reach out to things and you'll maybe accidentally create some sort of marketing system that will start to feed your business. But it comes out of realizing that you can't just rely on that one thing. Need lots of baskets lots of baskets and that that can like manifest in so many different ways so one way that you did it was offering video editing producing and then adding audio slash podcasting producing and editing so now you're offering two different types of things so you're you know doubling the chances of getting more client work and for me in the quiet periods of 2023 i was so grateful that one of the ways i didn't put all my eggs in one basket was I don't just do client work. I also sell digital products and courses. And so when the client work was a bit slow, that kept me going. You know, what other ways can you, can we diversify those streams that you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's also important to realize that you see things like courses and stuff like that and digital products, in order to sell them, you kind of need an audience. Yes. In fact, you maybe need a fairly substantial audience, you need a mailing list and things like that if you want to yeah. really make it work. And so I fear sometimes that people will think, oh, stuff is quiet. I'll just create these things and then people will buy them. But actually, it's a kind of a longer game of creating useful content, building a reputation, blah, 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 building an audience. And then if you need, if then you could potentially, because otherwise, like creating a decent course takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. What could you have done with that time? How many cold emails could you have sent out or, you know, insightful articles or building up the SEO on your website or, you know, so many things that you could do rather than relying on maybe one sale or two sales because you hadn't built the audience. So it's kind of like a danger that you can see people like yourself, like me even, like creating these things and thinking, oh, okay, I'll get extra revenue streams. But those things can, that's more like a long Yes. term picture that you yeah. can do <laughs> if you want to yeah, i'm not, I'm not talk- trying to put people off building courses but it's a it's a trap that you can put time into those things when actually there's no audience to buy them 
Yes, no, it's so true. And it can totally be a distraction. And that nearly happened to me. So I have been working on building digital, my audience, digital products, courses for the entire time I've been in business. So five years. And even now, still, it's not, it's not making me millions. I'm no Amy Porterfield, <laughs> but it, it helped me enough that it was like, okay, I don't have to let go of my whole team. It kept me going. Right. Now, here's the thing. I actually launched a boot camp that I was going to do this online boot camp and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, um, and it's going to be great. And I'm going to sell, you know, tickets to this boot camp for, I think it was like $750. I charge in dollars. And halfway through, I was just like, what am I, what am I doing? Why am I spending all this time focusing on selling $750 tickets to, I don't know how many people are going to buy, let's say max, maybe 10, 20 people when I could be cold pitching and I can land a, a $10,000 project if I just put my energy in the right place and I'm not being distracted by this idea of making loads of money through via, you know, course creation and digital products. And it's so true. So I'm really glad you said that because it can be a distraction. So you really have to think, okay, I'm going to create these different streams, but which ones are the streams that are like those levers that I can pull and immediately make money from? And which ones are the ones that take a while to get going? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> so we could talk for ages. We could. I'm, we I, could. I'm biting my tongue. <laughs> I know. I had so many other questions for you, but you know, I, I, you've stayed over. So thank you so much for staying. Oh, it's the over. I don't want to keep talking, but I just feel like you and I could just get yes, this and that and that and this. There's, there's so much to talk about. Okay, well, Steve, where can people find you if they want to stay connected? Uh, do you know? The best place to head is beingfreelance.com because it has the podcast. It has the vlog, which incidentally, I don't really make anymore because we've talked about it quite a bit, which is nice, but that was one great. Well, that was catalog though. That was, yeah, there is. And actually some people still go back and watch those and contact me about them. And I did try making a few last year as well, but the, the, what I realized is uh, literally it takes so much time to create that form of content how better can I use my time? Uh, also, I used to edit those like um, my family would be sitting in the other room watching a movie or whatever on a Sunday night and I'd be sitting in a different room editing away. And the p- pandemic kind of made me realise, actually, maybe I'd rather be sitting in the room with them watching the film. So it kind of changed my priorities um, and also made me think, where's my energy best spent? So, yeah, anyway, the vlog is still there. Uh, there's a course for new freelancers, which um, I only made a couple of years ago, but it, it's built off the back of the podcast. And I should, oh, and the community as well, so that you can come and hang out and have fun. But I should also say that because you mentioned doing it for the kids, that that is, doing it for the kids is a separate community. It's not my community. That's run by somebody, a uh, graphic designer called Frankie Totora. Uh, and she and I became friends online and then started the doing it for the kids podcast. But she started her community before I did. And I probably would never have started one if I hadn't have seen what she was doing with hers. Um, so yeah, doing it for the kids is her thing, but we do a podcast together. Yes. A great podcast. That's won awards. And it's, it's a podcast for freelance parents, but also everyone's welcome. And it's kind of like an agony aunt kind of style show where people are asking questions and you're giving them business advice. Yeah. It's it's so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me, Steve. I'm so happy to have you here. I know everyone's going to love this interview and uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed our chat. Oh, it's been so nice. So nice. Thank you, man. Thank you. When I was little, I told my dad that my favorite band, S Club 7, would never break up. 
he told me they would, that it was inevitable. Well, I didn't believe him. When I was 11, it finally happened. S Club 7 broke up. My dad was right. It was an inevitability, no matter how much I didn't want it to be. Client relationships are exactly the same. You don't ever want it to end, especially when that client is a great, regular, well-paying client. But like all great pop bands, that relationship will inevitably come to an end. And you need to prepare for that moment as well as you possibly can. I feel like Steve's mistake is one we can all relate to. It happened to me a few years ago. I had one big client that I really relied on and they eventually stopped sending me work. It taught me the hard way to never rely on any one client to bring me work. I've gone even further than that and created my business in a way that means I also don't rely on any one of my services to bring in clients. I have multiple services that serve different needs and different budgets, including an email strategy consultation for $550, a VIP week for $6,000 and custom email projects starting from $2,000. I also don't rely on any one revenue stream to bring me work. I make money not just from working with clients, but also from my digital products, courses and speaking engagements too. One of the biggest freedoms you get as a business owner is knowing that other people no longer control your income or your future. But sometimes we accidentally put ourselves in a position where we give our clients that power. Don't feel bad about it. We've all done it. But hopefully this interview serves as a reminder for what not to do, how to come back from it if you do do it, and of course, how to prepare for the inevitability of your favorite pop band breaking up. Ever wondered what goes into creating this podcast? What my production process looks like, how I came up with the concept for this show, how I choose which guests to invite and how exactly I research them. Well, I'm sharing everything inside my bonus episode, Behind the Scenes Making the Podcast. For this special episode, the show's podcast producer, Zuri Berry, takes the reins and interviews me so you can find out all the juicy details and behind the scenes stories. I reveal for the first time ever how I landed the HubSpot partnership and what that agreement involves, as well as the key to send in a podcast pitch that'll get my attention, the interview methods that help me nail my podcast interviews, and the resources and strategies I've used to help make this show a success. If you want instant access to this bonus episode, click the link in the show notes or head over to imancopyco.com slash BTS. That's behind the scenes imancoffeeco.com slash bts put in your email address and that's it it's yours